book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, and you can put your finger in Proverbs chapter 14, because we're going to get to that verse in just a few minutes, or that chapter, but Isaiah chapter 30, um, and this hopefully will make a little bit of sense in just a couple minutes, but as was often the case with the children of Israel, God had to expose them to where they were in their relationship with him. And in Isaiah chapter 30 and in chapter 31, and, and really kind of throughout the entire book of Isaiah, uh, God scolds them for what they were doing in their life, in their lives, I should say. And so um, in Isaiah chapter 30 in verse number one, and I, uh, we really could read this entire passage. I don't want to do that this morning for the sake of time, but they were placing their confidence in a country rather than in their creator. It says this in verse number one, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and that cover with a covering but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. We're going to continue in a second, but you know, that historic, or I say historically, biblically, Egypt is a picture of the world. It's always been a picture of the world. Uh, that's just, that's what it was for, e for for the Israelites. I mean, Egypt had just had everything, had everything that they could offer them. It says this in verse number four: For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish from whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. And he goes on and he talks about a lot of different things, but he was, he was scolding them for, for trusting in Egypt. He said, Egypt is not your father. Egypt is not going to protect you. Egypt cannot do what I can do for you, and yet you're a rebellious people, and you're putting your trust essentially in the world. You're trusting in the world to take care of you. You're trusting in the world to give you that happiness. You're trusting in the world to give you that security. And they can't. And I'm telling you not to trust in them, and still you're a rebellious people. They were as, re they were as rebellious children rather than consecrated Christians. They wouldn't hear the prophets. They wouldn't heed God's word. In fact, we see that um, in verse number 10, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. How, how deceived do you have to be to get to the point where you tell your preachers, just tell me the things that I want to hear. Don't, don't tell me the truth. This is literally what they're saying. Tell them, telling them, prophesy deceitful things. That's what we want to hear. Tell us smooth things. Don't tell us what's right and wrong. Don't tell us what we need to hear. Tell us what we want to hear. Boy, if we have not gotten to that point in America, in our churches, in our country, we've gotten to that point. Don't, don't tell us the truth. Tell us what sounds good. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us what we think will make us feel good. Boy, I, 
churches across this country are filled up with people right now that are hearing things that make them feel good. Hearing things that make them uh, the smooth things that are just the things that they want to hear. They wouldn't heed God's word. And you see that all the way throughout. Verse number 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. He continues on. You can go all the way into chapter 31, verse number 1. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. And stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many. And in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down. And they all shall fail together. See, we, we often refer to Patrick Henry, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, many of our founding fathers as heroes. I believe one of the problems in America is that we have become a nation that's not able to recognize real heroes in our land. We've, we've, uh, we've simply made those with talent or those with sporting ability the heroes. I mean, this, this pandemic has really put a spotlight on that, hasn't it? You know, here these guys are getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to play. And some of these, you, you'd be shocked if, if you go back and look at the numbers of, you know, some of these, some of these sports players, what they make per game. Uh, I forget exactly who it was, a well-known pitcher, maybe Justin Verlander or one of these pitchers. Make something like $275,000 an inning to pitch. He's making like $1.5 million per baseball game, which if you split that down into pitches, he's getting paid like $10,000 or more. More than that, $20,000, something like that, per pitch. Per pitch. And yet you have, you know, doctors and all of these people who are on the front lines in this pandemic that are, you know, they make decent money, but you've got a lot of other people who are just the average, everyday, common working people that are the ones that are driving this country. I think it should be switched, you know? The baseball players should be making minimum wage, and those who are actually doing the work, those who are the real heroes, should be making the millions of dollars. But it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, that's, that's what's happened. What, you know, what have the sports figures done during this whole thing? They've disappeared from the scenes and nobody really even noticed, right? I mean, we haven't had sports now for three or four months. And, okay, sure, it's nice to watch a game every now and then, but the world didn't stop moving when the sports stopped playing, did they? That's not the point of the message this morning. But one of the main motives of our forefathers leaving England and sailing to America was the opportunity of breaking away from the Church of England in order to enjoy, enjoy religious freedom. They had some freedom in uh, in England, but the problem was everyone had to be a part of the Church of England. And if you were not part of the Church of England, it was okay, you could worship in different ways, but you still gave taxes and paid even more in taxes to the Church of England. You supported the church whether you wanted to support the church or not. The Church of England was the state church, and you were basically expected to be a part of that church. Well, obviously, there was a, a large group of those people that said, that's not what we believe. That's not how we want to worship God. That's not what we believe the Bible says about how to worship God. Well, they got persecuted for that, and so they said, all right, fine, we're leaving. And that's exactly how America, you know, long story short, but that's not the only reason. But all who came to America found a new beginning. They found new opportunities, and the same opportunities are given us today uh, as they had many years ago, 244 years ago, when America was founded on July 4th, 1776. 
But let's look at a couple other verses. Turn over to Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Keep your finger there in Proverbs 14. We're going to come to that in just a minute. But Psalm 9 says this. I want you to think about this in, in terms of our nation today, in terms of what our country is going through today. But in Psalm 9, in verse number 17, the Bible says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Psalm 33, a few chapters over. Psalm 33, in verse number 12. Blessed, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then in Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs chapter 14, and this is kind of what I want to make as our text this morning, but Proverbs chapter 14 in verse number 34, the Bible says this, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Some important principles given by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 14, almost 3,000 years ago that are as true today as they were when he wrote them. Sin is the opposite of righteousness. And sin will hinder us in our country from being blessed by God. Sin turns a country away from God. And so God, in turn, removes his hand from that nation. No, no people can be truly free who have sold their soul into the bondage of sin. And that's exactly what our nation is doing today. We are selling our souls as a collective whole, as a nation. We are selling our souls into the bondage of sin. And, those, and, and the way that that's happening is we're not calling sin, sin anymore for the most part. We're selling ourselves in the... It's like, calling a, it's like calling a prison a mansion. Well, I'll go, let me go to the mansion. When in actuality, you're walking into prison, but you just call it by a different name and it makes them feel better. But sin still puts us into bondage, whether you call it sin or not. And that's exactly what's happening to our nation. Remember, we're living in the greatest country in the world, but what made this country great? Not all the credit goes to our founding fathers. Well, they did some great things, and they established a great nation, and the Constitution that was written, and the, the Bill of Rights, and, and all of those things that were written as they were founding this nation give us a great foundation, but that, all the credit doesn't go to them. The credit goes to God. It, it goes to our Father in Heaven because it was He that instilled the belief within their hearts. They were just willing to practice the belief that He instilled within their hearts. That was then. This is now. Just think about how far America has strayed from God's Word. We've taken God out of the classroom. We've passed laws that are not just not in favor of God's word, but they're anti-God's word. Uh, we've allowed the humanist to rewrite his laws and have called them translations of the Bible. We've allowed the murder of millions of babies. You have, you have, no, you have to look no farther than the last uh, 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 session of our state legislature to see what they're doing in this country. Uh, Ralph Northam has made it his his clear stated purpose that he wants to get to the point where any type of abortion, including up to two weeks after birth, is allowed. They just passed, and I, I read some of this on Wednesday night, but they just passed uh, a law that went into effect on July 1st that, first, that you now no longer have to have a doctor in order to perform abortion. It can be done by, a, uh, by a, a different people, nurses, nurse practitioners, basically anybody that, that has any kind of doctoral experience can perform an abortion in the first trimester. It doesn't have to be done in a hospital anymore either. There's so many things that they are changing, and, it's, and they, they, they proposed 3,917 laws in our state legislature this year. 
and most of them were aimed at undoing everything that has been done in this state since the beginning. Everything that has to do with abortion, everything that has to do with homosexuality, everything that has to do with uh, gun rights, all of those things, they're, they're doing everything they can to undo those things as quickly as they can undo them. We've taken our freedoms from the saints and given them to the sodomites, and now we see the result in homosexuality. And boy, this is getting more and more rampant. It's getting more and more in your face. You, can, you almost go to any website today, and the pride, you know, everything is this, you know. It's, it, it, it's everywhere we look. And oh, it's not called sin anymore, so it's okay. As long as we legalize it, then it's not sin. It doesn't matter what the government legalizes. It matters what the Bible legalizes or does not legalize, and that's what our standard is. When you move the standard, it doesn't make the sin any less, any less egregious to God. We're rewriting history to erase any Christian from the annals of memory. History is historical fact no matter how much you like it or dislike it. History happened. That's why it's history, and it can't be rewritten. But if you try to rewrite history, which is exactly what they're doing by taking all these monuments down and everything else, essentially what's happening is you're destined to repeat it. And we're going to go back through probably another civil war. We're probably going to go back through many of these other things that we have, have already been through as a nation because we're trying to erase it. And the public schools are doing a whole lot to help with that. All you got to do is erase it out of the curriculum and teach a whole new generation of people that this never happened and that this actually did and that becomes the history. And then you're destined to repeat the things that you've already made mistakes on and got through. We've stripped our nation of the real heroes and replaced them with Hollywood actors and rock stars and, and sportsmen. And I use that term loosely. But we're now living in a day when a president tries to appoint a Supreme Court or any other nominee. And the liberal media makes not only the president but also his, appointed, uh, his appointee look like some kind of tyrant because they stand up for the truths of the word of God. Because they stand up for the Bible. And when we get to that point in a nation, which is exactly where we are, don't, don't you wonder why God's withheld his judgment from this nation for so long? If I was God, I don't think I could handle this. I don't think I could handle what people are doing in God's face. And that's exactly, they're spitting in God's face. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm shocked that he has not done more to this nation than he has. But you see back in Isaiah chapter 30 in verse number 18, the Bible says, And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed in a, into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. I believe it's because of the remnant of the people that are still willing to sing the old rugged cross, that are still willing to sing God Bless America, that are still willing to sing Amazing Grace. The only answer for our country is for God's people to pray for a real, heaven-sent revival. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, I keep it in front of you often. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's God's people that need to come back to him. It's God's people that need to get right. And if God's people would get right, then I believe our nation would get right. 
Revival is not, I, I say this often as well, revival is not people getting saved. Revival is God's people coming back to life. That's what being revived is. It's something that was alive that has died and is getting revived. So it's people who have already been saved, who have already been given that new life in Jesus Christ, that for whatever reason have just discarded it and pretended like it doesn't matter, pretended like it's not important. And they need to be revived. And when they get revived, then they get a renewed zeal to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And then people get saved. Then we do have a real outbreak in our country of spirituality. But for all its flaws, I, I, I still believe that this is the greatest country in the world. And I don't think I'll ever stop believing that. What our country needs is an old-fashioned revival in righteousness and righteous living. And if we don't see that happen, if we don't see that happen soon, I'm afraid that we're going to lose our country as we know it for good. Not only are we in a political battle for the direction of this country, but we're in a moral battle for the soul of this country. What I want to remind you about this morning is the fact that righteousness still exalts a nation. Righteousness still exalts a nation. And so I want to share with you a couple things. And, and honestly, the introduction is about as long as the message this morning. But share with you a couple things that I believe that this nation needs in order to survive. Let's pray and we'll look at those things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for allowing us to meet here together this morning. God, I pray that you'd give us what we need to help us to be the Christians that we need to be, to be the Americans that we need to be to help bring this nation back to you. We'll give you all the glory and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing this nation needs is a return to Christ. At a time when our nation needs Christ the most, he's being shunned the most. Have you noticed that people are, are okay with you talking about God? It's okay to talk about God, but don't mention the name of Jesus. So you can, you can pray in a public place to God. It's all right. But you don't dare pray in Jesus' name. God's a generic being. And I'm not trying to take anything away from our God, but God is a very generic being. It can be Allah that you're praying to. They call him God. It could be the man upstairs. They call him God. It's okay to pray to God, but don't pray to Jesus. You talk about Jesus, well, that's a specific person who came to this earth with a specific purpose, and that was to save sinful people. That's why Jesus Christ came, and that's what is offensive to so many people. Talk about God all you want to, but don't mention Jesus. Without Christ, we all stand guilty before God, and without the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ, we have no hope for righteousness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, and only the blood of Jesus Christ, that can save us from our sin. When I stand before God, He does not see me, the sinner. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering all of those sins. And that is the only thing that can cover our sins, is the blood of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is literally filled with verses explaining how the precious blood of Jesus Christ gives us a new standing before God if we will accept the fact that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Matthew 28, verse 26, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hebrews 9, 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 9, 22, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Oh, and verses after verse after verse after verse filling the New Testament, talking about the blood of Jesus Christ being the covering that we need for our sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. We could go on and on, but you must understand that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for you. 
To ignore it is to, at the very least, downplay what he's done, at the very worst, to flat out reject what Jesus Christ did, the offering of his life as the only way to escape the punishment of sin in the horrors of hell. This nation needs to return to Christ as a whole, but perhaps you've never turned to him in the first place. That's step one. You need to turn to Christ. You must turn to Christ. This nation needs a return to Christ, but also, number two, this nation needs a return to purity. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 1. Those who are saved have been called out to live a separate life of purity, a life set apart for Jesus Christ. The problem that we see in our nation is that so many churches are preaching a gospel of prosperity or they're preaching a gospel of peaceful existence or a gospel of pleasantries when they should be preaching a gospel uh, of death to sin and self and and that causes someone to truly turn from their sin. So many people think they're Christians because they attend church regularly, and I can guarantee you that all the way across this country there are people who are lifting their hands in praise to God who think that they're a Christian because they attend church, who think they're a Christian because they sing songs with Jesus in it, who think that they're a Christian because they read the Bible from time to time, who have no idea what it actually means to be a Christian. They've never come to Jesus Christ. They've never turned to Him for forgiveness for their sins. They've never turned to the blood of Jesus Christ to cover those sins, and they've never placed their faith in him to make sure that someday when they die they're going to spend an eternity in heaven with him but those who truly are saved have lost all their motivation to live a separated life of purity unto God they've been pulled away by the pleasures of this world they've been lulled to sleep to the point where they have no desire to live for Christ and when that desire died so did the purity that sets the Christian apart from the rest of the world What we need to see if America is to survive as a Christian nation is a turning from that sin and a return to purity of Christ. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 18 says, Come, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Our sins can be cleansed. And they must be cleansed if we're to return to Christ. That's what purity is all about. David prayed in in Psalm 51 and verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't that what purity is all about? That's one of the things that a bride wears a white dress walking down the aisle to signify and to symbolize purity. That's what white is all about. And that's what a white heart is before God. It's not a sin that's darkened by the black, a, a heart that's darkened by the blackness of sin. It's a heart that's been washed clean and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ for salvation, first of all, but then return to him over and over and over and over to ask forgiveness for our sins. Just because we got saved doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless. In fact, we're not sinless after we're saved. And we need to keep short accounts with God. We need to make sure that our hearts are right before him. And the only way to save this nation and to keep it as a Christian nation is for Christians to live lives of purity before God. We can live a life of righteousness, and we can live a life of purity because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the lamb without blemish and without spot, and that's exactly the way that he wants us as his children to live. Not only should we desire to live that way because of what Christ has done for us, but because that's the only way that we can show a lost world that there is a better way. If we are no different from the world, then why would somebody want to come to Jesus Christ? Why would somebody even want to know how they can be saved? If we're no different, 
If we're not offering them something that is different from the lifestyle that they're living, then why would we even, why would they even want to come to Jesus Christ? No, we are to be separate. We are to live lives of purity before God. We are to be different. Does that mean that we can't go partake in everything that the world calls fun? Yes, sometimes. But you know what? Puking your guts out on the side of the road because you drank so much is not fun to me. Hacking your lungs out because you're smoking, drinking, and doing drugs and all of those things is not fun to me. That's what the world calls fun. Oh, yeah, it's 4th of July weekend. Let's go party. Man, we're going to have a great time. We're going to go get drunk. What's so fun about that anyway? What's fun about that? Losing your mind and not even knowing what you did for the last 24 hours is not fun to me. Right? That's what the world calls fun. Partake in the fun of the world. It's not fun. What's so fun about that? You know, I don't have to do those things. And I can actually go out and enjoy myself and remember what I did while I was enjoying it the next morning. But you see, we have to live lives that are pure. We have to live lives that are separate. If, I, if I'm in a party at my house and my neighbors are in a party at their house and we're both drunk, shaking hands on the fence, what am I offering them that's different? If they see nothing different in me, why would they want to come to Christ? They need to see Christians be different. And you know what? By the way, those in the world expect Christians to be different. If they know you're a Christian, you should be talking about that. You ever heard anybody say that? You, don't, you can't drink. You're not allowed to do those kind of things. You're a Christian. Right? Oh, they're going to go do it. But they know that you shouldn't be because you're a Christian. They expect us to live separate lives. They expect us to be pure. And if we expect this nation to last... If we expect, especially for this nation to be a Christian nation, then we need a return to purity. And the last thing that this nation needs is a return to righteousness. Back in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 34, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmaments show his handiwork. You can look anywhere in this world in the universe and see the work of God. But righteousness is America's greatest need. That's what we're missing today. That's what we don't have today. The first step in helping America is for her to come to Christ for forgiveness of sin, accept his love, and live righteously. Righteousness exalteth a nation. The second step is to be part of a New Testament, sin-hating, devil-fighting, Christ-honoring church. That's how we're going to attack this sin in our country. Why not be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem? Sin, the Bible says, is a reproach to any people. Sin is a reproach. So then I want to be in a place where sin is preached against and God is exalted because God hates sin. Sin hinders us in our relationship with God, but righteousness will exalt a nation. Righteousness will exalt a church. Righteousness will exalt a family. Righteousness will exalt an individual. Righteousness still exalts a nation. The Bible says in John chapter 8 and verse number 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A few verses later in verse 36, he says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The question is, do we really want freedom and liberty badly enough to live righteously and to help turn our nation back to God? Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. So when we live in sin... 
We are helping our nation be a reproach. When we live righteously, we are helping our nation be blessed by God. The choice is up to us. Are we going to live righteously and see God bless this nation, or are we going to live in sin and see the reproach come to this nation? The only alternative is to live in bondage to sin, to a government who hates the things of God. You think that's so far-fetched, but look at the nations around the world who've turned their backs on God. You can go back in the Bible and see all the nations who turned their backs on God and see how God judged those nations. You can look even in the modern era and see what's happened with nations who've turned their backs on God. And in just a matter of a generation or two, they completely go from a nation that God possibly blesses to a nation that's actually been cursed by God, a nation who God has withdrawn his hand of blessing from. I'm sure you've heard the quote by Edmund Burke, one of our, not one of our founding fathers, but lived in that same general era. He said this, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. What a modern summary, I believe, of Proverbs 14, 34. When those who know how to live righteously and don't, they don't love righteousness, they don't pursue it. It's essentially withdrawing the hand of God over his people. God's blessing on a nation has to start with each individual living a righteous life. Righteousness still exalts a nation. A little girl was asking her dad where the different states are, the individual states within the United States. And he said, I'll tell you what, I've got a magazine that has a picture of the United States on there. And I'll tell you what, let me rip this thing up into a bunch of small pieces and you can put it back together. That'll help you to learn where the states are. Well, she came back within just a matter of a couple minutes. It was all taped together and it was all put together exactly right. And he said, wow, how in the world? You didn't even know where those states were a few minutes ago. How were you able to put that whole thing back together so quickly? And she said, well, on the other side of the page was a picture of Jesus. When I put the picture of Jesus together, then the United States just came together exactly the way that they were supposed to. Isn't that exactly what must happen in the United States today? We put Jesus Christ back in the place that he belongs, and the United States will get back together again. We'll find that unity that we can't find anywhere else. You know, everybody's talking about how do we, we have such a divide in our nation, and we do. It's far left. There's, there's no middle ground anymore. There's, there's a huge divide in our nation. How do we get that back? How do we close that divide? How do we get people to work across the aisle? I'll tell you how. You get them back to Christ. You give them a central theme to focus on. You give them a central person to focus on. And this nation will come back together. I believe that this is the greatest country in the history of the world. This experiment in freedom has turned out to be greater than anyone could ever have expected. But the heritage that was handed down to us by Bible-loving, God-fearing men is in jeopardy. I don't believe for one minute that God's done with America. I believe that we can see a revival again. Times have been worse than they are now. Things have been worse than they are now. And revival has fixed it. I believe with all my heart that we can still see a revival and see God do something great spiritually in this nation again. But what it's going to take is a return to Christ. It's going to take a return to purity. It's going to take a return to righteousness because God's word has not changed and righteousness still 
exalts a nation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for this country. Thank you for putting the men and women in place back in 1776 to help build this nation at its foundation. I thank you for putting all the men and women in place from 1776 until today to get this nation to where it is. But, oh God, we've come so far. We've fallen so far away from you. I pray that there would be a return to Christ. I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that's never turned to Christ, that they would turn to Christ for the remission of their sins today. But for those who are saved, God, I pray that you'd help us to have that return to purity. I pray that you'd give us that renewed desire to be different for you. Not different for the sake of being different, not different for the sake of being weird so that we stick out or anything like that, but different for the sake of being a Christian and a real Christian, a genuine Christian who let the chips fall where they may is willing to stand up for what's right, willing to be different so that we can show the world that there is a better way, and that's only through Jesus Christ. And God, that we might have a return in this nation to righteousness. We might turn from our sin and turn to you. Because like you said, righteousness still exalts a nation. And I pray that you'd help us for many, many years to have God's hand of blessing on this country because we're willing to live the way you say we should live. I pray that it would start with us. Send a revival, God, we pray. Start it with us. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you